Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. This week, we're gonna talk about when you've got a big critter on the end of your proverbial rope, and it's just jerking on you hard and hard and hard and hard, don't get sideways. Don't get sideways. So why is it bad if you get sideways with a big critter on the end of it? Well, you know, there is no leverage. If you've got one of those 1,600-pound cows that that Ty was talking about that they roped a couple of weeks ago, um, if you're sideways, there's no leverage. I mean, I don't care how big your horse is. If a big cow hits the end of it, you're, you're going over, okay? So there, there's no leverage if you're sideways. Um, number two, why is it bad if you get sideways? Um, when, when you get sideways, things start happening and the horse starts floundering. And a lot of times, and unfortunately I've seen it and I've actually had this happen, you can get wrapped up in the rope. Wreck. Okay, you just thought you was in a wreck because you've got this big critter roped. Now you're in a big bad wreck because the critter just roped you and your horse. Okay, so you don't want to get sideways. And, and the third thing is, is nearly what happened to me once, and it actually nearly happened to Ty yesterday. I latched onto a big old, uh, big old kind of a yearling calf that we were uh, preconditioning, and I dallied up, and I started going off, and... My horse was trying to he kind of go in sideways, and instead of looking back at what I was doing, I kind of started concentrating on him, and I was giving him that right spur to get his butt back underneath that rope so that we had some power to pull this thing. And as soon as I took my eye off that critter, you know what it did? It went in this way and nearly run that rope right up my horse's tail and underneath it. What do you call that? Rimfire. I nearly got rimfired. If you would like to see how that happens firsthand, come out to the ranch. I'll show you. You will end up like Zen. You will end up on the ground. A horse does not like a tail up under, a a rope up underneath his tail. Don't get sideways, okay? Now, one of the times when we truly get sideways in life, we're not talking about cowboying. We're just using that as an illustration, one of the times that we really, really get sideways in life. Okay, my OCD is kicking in. I'm going to need about 15 or 20 of y'all to move to this side because we're unbalanced, and I keep leaning over to this side. Y'all just want to be by the snacks and by the coffee. I get it. One of the times we truly get sideways in life is when the problem, that's what we're talking about, how to take a jerk. When, when you get out there and you, you, you latch onto something, uh, you're Goliath. You know, we talked about in the first week about David and Goliath, how he had a, a Goliath size, David had a Goliath sized problem. And if that wasn't bad enough, last week we talked about how he killed Goliath and now David's king is trying to kill him. So he's like out of the frying pan and into the fire. But the problem that we'll talk about this week is what if the problem is your fault? Now, when, when David went and fought Goliath, I mean, you know, David might have made it his problem, but David didn't do anything wrong, okay? And even when Saul, his king, was trying to kill him, David still had done nothing wrong. But this week, we're going to go back to the life of King David, and we're going to talk about something where David's big problem 
was of his own making. Now, I know a lot of you have been wondering, a lot of you have been wondering if you would like to look close at your pastor, it looks like he's been in a bar fight. Here's the story. Okay. So, Tuesday, um, Tuesday I get home about 1 o'clock, and we have two African Basenji dogs that were actually guarded a missionary's compound in Africa. It's a brother and sister, and the sister is laying by the front steps, and I thought she was dead. I mean, you know, you can just tell when something's the matter with a dog. And so I kind of go up to her, and I'm like, Cleo, get up, get up. You know, what's the matter? And I mean, she's just laying there, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what in the world? So I go in, and, and, and Christy's in there, and I said, have you seen Cleo? And she goes, no. And I said, she's kind of underneath the front porch, and something's bad wrong with her. And so we go out there, and, you know, my wife has got the biggest heart in the world, except in the mornings when I talk. And um, so this is way after morning, so her heart is big again. She's not even a Christian before lunch. And so um, she's a Christian now. And so we gather up Cleo, and we take her inside, and, I mean, she's, she's in bad shape, people. And I'm like, my gosh, what, what has happened here? And so Christy's trying to doctor on her and trying to give her some water. She refuses to drink, so Christy's got a straw, and she's you know, trying to give her something to drink. I mean, we're doing everything we can, and I'm like, what's the matter with this dog? And I happen to go outside, and I go out there, and uh, we, we, we pin them in what used to be a storeroom at night, keeps them out of the weather, and you know, just at night, and stuff like that. And I go into the storeroom where, where everything's kept, and uh, I see something that just makes my heart sink. Cleo had eaten an entire Tomcat bag of rat poison. So I gather up this shredded bag, and I mean, my heart is breaking. And I go over there, and I open up the dumpster, and I throw that bag away, and I'm like, I'm not telling my wife that that's what happened. Because... When I bought it, she said, I don't want that stuff here. One of the dogs is going to get in it. And I said, the dogs are not going to get into it. I'll put it where they can't get it. And so I wasn't going to tell her. That lasted from about the dumpster to the back door. And I knew right away that that was not the right thing to do. That I need to take responsibility for what happened, even though, you know, it, I didn't make her eat it. And I, and I thought I had put it where she couldn't get it, but she's one of those trash diggers. If she thinks that there's something that she's not supposed to have, she's, you can literally stand at the trash can and turn your head. And when she sees you turn her head, she'll reach up there and pull it down. Uh, that's just Cleo, right? And so she saw me put something white up. Way, uh, she climbed on an old washing machine in order to get this bag. And, and that's my fault. I know the dog. So I'm like having this internal debate. Okay, I'm not going to tell my wife because she just doesn't need to know that. It'll hurt her feelings. No, actually, I don't want to tell her because I don't want to get in trouble. Okay? So I walk in there and I, <laughs> I'm not going to tell her. Right? And I go, she had a whole bag of rat poison. And so anyway, we called the vet. And the vet says, this is what you need to do. You need to give vitamin K. So we went and we went to the vet and they gave us vitamin K and need to keep her hydrated. So we're hydrating her and, and all of that stuff. And so Tuesday night at the Weatherby household, 
is date night. Every Tuesday we go on a date. Well, in spite of everything that has happened, you know, now it's, it, it's close to seven. I mean, Cleo, she's panting real hard, and uh, we're, we've given her the vitamin K, and, you know, we've got the ceiling fans going, and we've got the air conditioner going, even though it's not very hot outside, you know, just doing everything we can for this dog, and my heart is breaking, and it's date night, right? And so Christy says, well, let's just stay in, and we'll just watch a movie. That way we can watch the dog good enough. So we eat supper, feed Cleo, try to feed her. She's not eating. And uh, so it's 727. I know this because the pay-per-view movie we were going to watch as a family started at 730. I'm sitting in my chair and it's 727 because I'm waiting to rent it, right? And all of a sudden we hear, that's my best cricket impersonation. There's a cricket in the house. And my wife says, she don't like grasshoppers or anything that jumps, okay? She's like, get that cricket out of here. I can't watch a movie if there's a cricket in here. So seeing as that I'm already in trouble, I, yeah, I jump up, you know, and, and I kind of, you know, you're doing that echolocation deal trying to find the cricket. And boy, they can, they're like ventriloquists, man. They can, you think it's over here and it's over here. And so anyway, I, I get behind my chair and I'm... You know, kind of like some superhero or something. And finally, I locate that. I'm like, it's coming from up here on the curtain rod. Well, I can't reach the curtain rod. So I climb up on the edge of the love seat on, on the big uh, arm of it. And I see that little booger and he's crawling. I reach up there and I, and I grab him, man, first, like a ninja cricket herder. You know, just, huh. and you, and everybody knows you don't hurt crickets, right? That's a bad look. I don't believe in bad juju or anything like that, but I was taught from a very early age, you don't hurt crickets. So I grabbed him, and he's a thumping around like some kung fu cricket in my hand and everything. And Anyway, I stepped down onto the cushion of the love seat, and I said, I got him. Chrissy said, good. And I jumped belly deep into the five-foot ceiling fan that is going on high. Whack! I am dead serious. This isn't one of those Southampton ceiling fans from Walmart. Let me take a two-by-four, about 14 of us, and we're just going to run by you and whack, whack. It hit me 12 times. You can't. I mean, I did. I jumped into the ceiling fan. It pinwheeled me onto the floor. I yelled a bad word. Not the real bad word, but a, a pretty, I mean, it's up there. It's like, it's like an eight and a half, right? The first thing I remember after screaming the bad word is I've got my hand like this, and I've still got the cricket. I'm a cowboy. We don't give up that easy. Now, there's something else you got to know about my wife. You don't talk to her before 10.30, or before she's had her coffee, and you definitely better not say a word if you're bleeding. She hates your guts. So I'm bleeding, and Christy is, she's at full freak out, right? Because she hates blood. 
And I'm holding my face and I'm like, I'm okay. I'm really thinking my eye has been like eviscerated from my body, right? But I'm, I'm all right, honey, I'm all right. I've got the cricket. <laughs> She's like, you're not all right. Your face is bleeding to death. Like, it's not bleeding to death. Yes, it is. So I get up, and she throw, She doesn't hand me the dish towel. She literally threw it at me. That's what happens whenever you have a wreck at my house. She's like, put this on your face. <laughs> so I put this on my face. And she's like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to turn this cricket loose. She's like, who cares about the cricket? And I said, that sucker just whooped my butt just for catching it. I'm going to go outside and I'm going to fix it some biscuits and gravy. Because I'm not doing anything else to this cricket. Well, I let it sleep in my bed. So I go outside and I turn the cricket loose. And she's like, let me see your face. I'm like, you don't want to see it now? You want to see it? Like, okay. Take it off. and it, like, You know how it sticks to your face? You have to peel the rag off your face. She's like, oh my God, we got to go to the hospital. I said, I'm not going to the hospital so I put it back on. She's like, you get in the truck right now. So I go in there. I said, honey, face wounds, they just bleed a little bit. It's no big deal. You get in the truck right now. <laughs> so Griffin, my 14-year-old son, is going to come help. He comes sauntering over. He's like, come on, Dad, let me see it. So I peel it off my face again because it's already stuck there again. And, and he goes, yeah, you probably need to go to the hospital. <laughs> So we make it to the end of the drive, and I've got my dish rag on my face. And I said, I'm going to laugh about this tomorrow. So we go to the hospital, and we go walking in there. And we sit down at the triage nurse. And the nurse says, Mr. Weatherby, can you tell me what happened? <laughs> now, you have to understand, Matt, I am literally, I am covered in blood. It looks like I've been at, you know... Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? And so I said, well, before I do that, I just want you to know that the following is copyrighted and cannot be used without the written, express written consent of Kevin Weatherby. <laughs> so I tell her the story. And she doesn't know me like y'all do, right? She has this look on her face. Like for 20 minutes. She turns to her computer puts her hands on the keyboard and goes, I have no idea what to put down. <laughs> I said, you can make something out about it. I rescued a grizzly, uh, a grizzly bear cub from a shark. or yeah, it's, Make it sound cool. Right? So I go in, and it's this same nurse that she comes in, and I did not realize that they put lava, that, that they use lava to numb you with. Because that's what they injected me with, was battery acid and lava. <laughs> the needle was only this big, but the lava and battery acid that they put in my face was horrible. <laughs> Took six shots. <laughs> Give me the ceiling fan. <laughs> and so, anyway, we go over there, and, and we rinse it, or she rinses it out, and I go back over there, and I sit down. The, the nurse leaves. And she comes back in, and she's like this. She's like, Mr. Weatherby, you're not going to believe what's happened. I was like, what? She goes, I found a cricket in the hallway. I was like, oh! <laughs> oh! 
the nurse has jokes. The nurse has jokes. I said, if there's any ceiling fans around here, you better turn them off right now. They'll get you for that. I called her Tina Fey the rest of the time because she was a comedian. Okay. So they give me the six shots. Flush it out. Doctor comes in there and goes to stitch me up, and I like to jump out of the deal. The medication had worn off. So I get six more shots. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, I paid a little, but, you know, it, you know, it, it just kind of looked like the rest of the blood, so it really didn't matter, and so I wasn't that embarrassed. And so he starts, she starts stitching it up, and finally I told her, I said, ma'am? She said, yes, sir. Because I had this, like, blanket over my face, except for a hole where they're stitching me up so I can see, because I'm eyeballing her through that little hole. And um, I said, ma'am, how many more do you have to do? She goes, I just got one more stitch. I said, ma'am, I could barely stand that last one. She goes, you can feel that? And I said, yes, ma'am. So she pokes me with the stitch deal. I'm like, ow! She goes, you're serious, aren't you? I was like, well, yes. Why would I lie to you and want the lava acid again? So she gives it to me again. Say, 18 shots for four stitches. If I am ever in an accident, just letting y'all know, the next time I'm in an accident, because we know it's going to happen, right? Have them just either put me down or out. One of the two. No more battery acid lava mixture, okay? It's not going to happen, okay? Okay. All of that was my fault. Cleo was my fault. Nobody made me jump belly deep into a five-foot ceiling fan on Mach 9. What do you do? How do you handle situations when the big critter that you've got roped that's threatening to drag you down what happens when it's your fault? See, there's a, there's a story of David, King David, heir. Uh, one of his ancestors is going to be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? So David is hanging out in his palace. He's the king of Israel now. Most of you know the story. He's hanging out on his balcony, and he looks down, and he sees a real hottie of a girl naked bathing now he's a king and so he starts looking at something that he probably should have just gone whoa and turned around and walked off but he doesn't he starts having lust in his heart and so he he gets Bathsheba he sends for her and she comes in and he sleeps with her even though she's married she is married to one of his soldiers in his army he does it anyway and then what happens is Bathsheba turns up pregnant. And so instead of admitting that he has done something wrong, David knows that he's done something wrong, what does he do? He tells his commanders, do you know Uriah the Hittite? And they say, yes, sir. He said, I want you to go and I want you to attack the whoever's or whatever's or anything and put him on the front lines. And Uriah the Hittite is killed in battle to cover up David's sin. So after this happens, Samuel you know, we're in 2 Samuel. Samuel, the book, the two books of Samuel is named after a prophet named Samuel. Samuel has died, and a prophet named Nathan has taken his place. And God tells Nathan, see, nobody knows what is going on except David 
and Bathsheba. That's all that knows the whole story. But God tells Nathan what has happened. And he says, you go confront David about this. So Nathan goes up to David and says, hey, I need to tell you something that's happened in your kingdom. David's like, all right, man, what's happened? And he said, see, there's this guy that all he had in the world was one little lamb. He had no other possessions. And he loved this lamb, and he held this lamb. And the lamb, he fed it from his own hand. He let it eat at his own table. It slept in his bed. Nothing mattered except this one little lamb. And he loved it more than life itself. But King David, something terrible has happened because a rich man came and went into his home and wanted something to eat. This rich man, he owned a thousand sheep and a thousand head of cattle. And what did he do? He killed the lamb that belonged to this poor man. The only thing that that man had, he killed that lamb and ate it. And David is furious. He says, that will never happen in my kingdom. Surely that man deserves to die. And Nathan says, it was you. And then everything comes rushing to David. He knows what he has done. Now you remember, David is the king of Israel. What happens to David? David's son dies as a result of his sin. Now you have to understand this is a really hard part in scripture to understand. Why would God allow David's son to die because of David's sin? You have to understand David was the anointed king of Israel and when he found out, when he heard the story, he said, surely someone has to die for this. And God allowed David's son to get sick and to pass away because that was David's judgment on himself. So when you read that story, that's not the point. I just want to put a footnote in there that that's what David said should happen because of the lamb story. So God said, if that's what you think somebody deserves, then that's what's going to happen. So somebody died. David's son dies for it. How would you handle that problem? How do you handle a big problem when it's your fault? Do you Blame God. God, how could this happen? Why, why, you know, we, we, t we make a mistake and then we ask God why he let it happen like that. Do we blame God? That's getting sideways. You'll get jerked down, wrapped up, or rim-fired. When you make a mistake and you start blaming God. The second thing, do you, do, do you take it out on other people? When you make a mistake and it's your fault... I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, my wife got really, really, really mad at me when she found out that she said that she didn't want the rat poison at the house. I bought it anyway, and exactly what she said would happen did. And it was really kind of our nature to want to defend ourselves. Well, but I didn't. She got upset, and she had every right to be upset, and I just kept my mouth shut. Do you take it out on other people, though, whenever it's your mistake? That's getting sideways. You'll get jerked down, wrapped up, or rim-fired. Or do you make excuses? Well, so-and-so bought rat poison, and it didn't, it didn't happen to them. So-and-so jumped off their love seat, and they didn't get hit by the ceiling fan. You know, I mean, we, we typically, when it's our fault, those are the things that we typically do. We start making excuses, or we blame others, or we blame God. We take it out on other people.
But what can we learn from the way David handled his problem? Well, the first thing that David did after hearing what Nathan had to say, the first thing that David did is something that we need to do also. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David says this, Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. That's what we need to do. When we have a problem of our own doing and, and it feels like that this problem is going to jerk us down, instead of getting sideways, what we need to do is we need to confess our sin. The second thing David did is he went to God and he confessed it to God also. First, he confessed it to Nathan. Now, when he confessed it to Nathan, he didn't say, I have made a mistake against you, Nathan. He said, I have sinned against the Lord, number one. And then it says, David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. His child is sick now, and he laid on the ground for a long time, praying and fasting that God would, would heal the child and and all of that, you know, instead of hiding the fact that you made a mistake, sometimes you have to walk in and go, she ate the rat poison, that I didn't do what I said I would do. I made a mistake. We don't just go throw it in the dumpster and not say anything because that eats on us. We've got to confess when we messed up. We have to confess it to other people people. Even if they're not the ones that are a victim of what you did wrong, we still need to confess it to other people. And we need to confess it to God. We need to go to God because he's the only one that can help us in that situation. A lot of times he's not going to solve the problem for you. You'll have to suffer the consequences of it. And that's okay. But we still need to confess. The second thing that David did is he didn't feel sorry for himself because in verse 20, it says, after the child had died, they came in and they were whispering. And David said, is the child dead? And they said, yes, sire, he is. And it says this, then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions and changed his clothes. That's what he did. He didn't feel sorry for himself. How many times do we go through something? And boy, we let everybody know, don't we? <gasps> please feel sorry for me with me. No, it's not what we're supposed to do. When you make a mistake, you confess it, and then you get up. You wash yourself. What does it say? He got up from the ground. A lot of us have spent way too long on the proverbial ground. We've just been laying there, not doing anything, feeling sorry for ourselves. We need to get up off the ground, wash ourselves, put on some lotion, and put on some nice clothes and go do what you're supposed to do. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. I had to bury Cleo yesterday. Tough. It's one thing to have to put a dog down that's sick. It's a whole nother matter when you wrap her in a saddle blanket after you've put a bullet in her head because of you. Her muscles had atrophied. She was still alive, but she was suffering so much. So I went and did the deal, and then I went over and went to the chuck wagon. And I stood up straight, and we laughed. And we sang songs, played the guitar around a campfire. And it was my mistake, but there's no, I, I, don't get me wrong, man, I prayed for that dog. I prayed for that dog a lot. She didn't make it. 
And I had to be the one that had to do it. And I am so sorry that I made that mistake for that dog. But you know what? I've made a lot of mistakes, and so have you. Maybe not to that magnitude or anything like that, but it doesn't matter how big or how small. We still, we need to confess our sins. Even when it's the hardest thing in the world to do, we need to confess our sins. And then we need to get up off the ground. We need to wash ourselves, put on lotions, change our clothes, and go do what we're supposed to do. And the third thing David did, he once again put God first in his life. Because after he did that, in the second part of that same verse, 2 Samuel 12, 20, it says, he went into the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. What was the first thing David did? He confessed his sin to Nathan and to God. The second thing he did is he lifted himself up, washed himself, got himself up off the ground, put on lotions, changed his clothes. And the third thing that he did, probably the most important, before he even went and took care of himself, he went and worshiped God. He came back to the source and he didn't blame God, he worshiped God. After burying my dog yesterday, I went over, grabbed me and Don Martinez and Sue Link and B.J. Robinson. We sang Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. One of the hardest things you'll ever do is to be able to praise God in the midst of your suffering. But you need to. You need to. He is the source. He is the comfort. He is everything for those that believe in him. Has your life gone sideways because of sin that you need to confess? Does your situation feel like you've jumped belly deep into a ceiling fan on Mach 10? I know how that feels. So did David. You are not alone. There's three things you need to do, and we're closing. You need to confess your, God, confess your sin to God and to someone else. David confessed to Nathan, and he confessed to God. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. If you need to talk to somebody, you can come talk to me. There is nothing that you can say. There is nothing that you have done that God will not forgive you for. But God's forgiveness and your healing are two separate deals. God will forgive you, but if you want to start the healing process, get it off your chest. Because a lot of times, just giving it to God... Boy, that sounds all holy, and it sounds good. Oh, give it to God. I'll just confess to God. Nobody will still know. Come talk to me. Talk to somebody else that you know. Talk to a trusted friend. Number two, quit feeling sorry for yourself. Seriously, it does no good. Nobody ever healed by feeling sorry for themselves. Wallowing in self-pity will not get it done. And the third thing, we've already talked about it. Make God the top priority in your life again. You were once on fire for God. You got away from that. You were riding through the pasture and when you went to the right of this tree and then you came to another tree and you went to the right of that tree and then you went to the right of that tree and then you went to the right of that tree and now you're going the opposite way that you used to go. Get back on track. You can do that right now. You used to be on fire for God. Get back. Worship him. You know who he is. Talk to somebody else. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe you're here today. You've never heard anything like this. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from Ty. This comes from God. God is calling each one of you back to him. And he's offering you the chance at healing. And he's offering you a chance at a new life. I pray 
that y'all take that today. Let's go to God in prayer. Dad, you know what we've done and how it has turned our lives sideways. Right now, God, we're all going to be quiet for just a moment as we confess to you that sin that has either jerked us down or has been threatening to jerk us down. God, we thank you for the forgiveness that we just received through your son, Jesus Christ. Lead us now to a closer relationship with you through Jesus and help us to start the healing process by confessing that sin to someone else so that they can come in and help us to get the rope off this big problem that has been threatening to jerk us down. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The cowboy has molded and shaped our country by the sweat of his brow and his faith in God. Slowly, his way of life has been labeled as outdated and obsolete, if that wasn't enough. Religion has tried to change his view of the God he experiences every day. The rough hands of the carpenter's son have been replaced with silver tongues and promises of an easy life. But the cowboy knows better. His way of life is slowly dying. No longer do people keep their word. No longer is a handshake all you need. He searches for men who act like men and ladies who act like ladies. He is one in a thousand and he needs your help. For just $35 a month, which is one one thousandth of the average yearly salary, you can be part of saving the Cowboys' heritage, saving the Cowboys' faith, and his livelihood. You too can help save the Cowboy. Just text Save the Cowboy, all one word, to 77977 and be a part of something extraordinary.